Hello, and welcome to PRISM. PRISM is a design-oriented podcast hosted by me, Dan Hardin. Like a glass prism that reveals the color hidden inside white light, this podcast will reveal the inside story behind innovation, especially the people that make it happen. My aim is to uncover each guest's unique point of view, their insights, their methods, or their own secret motivator, perhaps, that fuels their creative genius. Okay, hello and welcome to Finding Design Nirvana. I'm Dan Harden, I'm Whipsaw's founder, CEO, and principal designer. And with me are Caroline Flagello and Fred Bold. We're here to discuss how we can evolve from this somewhat dark time that we find ourselves in. We've experienced something truly extraordinary in the last, well, now what, year and a half, and it's still going on. But how can we evolve from that time that we have all experienced into a, a better, we'll call it designed future. That's why we call this finding design nirvana. We think we should be learning from these tough times in order to advance design to a higher, well, maybe even more ideal state, if that's possible. That's what we wanted to investigate with this discussion tonight. We'll talk about the lessons we have learned from the pandemic that can help us re-examine how we think about design especially in terms of what design should be focused on, where the opportunities lie to innovate, and how design should or can be practiced. So without further ado, let's meet our panelists, Caroline and Fred. Fred is the founder and design director of Bold Design. Bold has collaborated with great companies such as Nest Labs, GoPro, Roku, and many, many others. They've won lots of design awards. They've got work at the Cooper Hewitt and SF MoMA. Their design, many of you know it, their design is noted for simplicity, elegance, and a focus on usability. They always do great work, can always count on Fred and his company. I met Fred in the 80s when we both worked at Henry Dreyfus Associates, and we've been great friends ever since. Good to see you, Fred. Hey, Dan, great to see you, Carolyn, good to see you. Yeah, um, I first got to know Dan when I was an intern at Henry Dreyfus Associates. And Dan was one of the uh, young hotshot designers there that uh, everybody looked up to. So uh, it's uh, it's really it's really gratifying to find myself here, you know, 100 years later, um, working working in close proximity to Dan and uh, and his ilk. So this is great. Thanks for joining, Fred. My other guest is Caroline Flagello. Caroline is founder and CEO of Aiken a firm she founded in 2015. Caroline is an innovation expert with two decades of experience leading teams and designing for every kind of organization from little startups to high profile Fortune 500 companies. She also worked at Pentagram and IDEO. And I've known Caroline for over 25 years. She helped me chair the National IDSA Conference in 2002. I still can't thank you enough for that, Caroline. Um, and you may have also seen Caroline on the CBS series, California by Design. Welcome, Caroline. Thank you for joining. Oh, thank you for having me. Yes, um, and good to see you, Fred. Um, yeah, Dan, when I first met you, it was at the MoMA, and it was during an IDSA awards event. Um, and uh, you were president of Frog at the time. And I was like, oh, that's Dan Harden. Um, <laughs> And so uh, you were, you know, you were the god uh, oh, while I was uh, still, you know, starting off in my career. So anyway, it was a 
long time ago, but uh, you are still the God. Dave. Oh my God. Okay, we did not practice. Believe me, this. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's let's get into our discussion. But thank you. Um, so let's start out kind of broad. All right. So this crazy pandemic that we've been through. I mean, it has rocked us all to the core in so many ways. But let's talk briefly about its impact on work, especially like how were your practices impacted and how did you adjust? Did you survive, obviously, or how did you thrive? Carolyn, you want to take a... Sure, sure. So, um, when I started Akin uh, seven years ago, it was a relational-based uh, consultancy. So basically, our goal is to have long-term key clients and reduce that churn and spin. And I also thought that there was a different way to be able to create a consultancy that didn't look like the consultancies that we've all known and love and worked for. Um, and thought that uh, we could leverage global talent in a different way. So I leveraged uh, uh, distributed teams uh, as well as our core team. And so like our practices really haven't changed, but what we did is we really honed the ability to connect in hybrid ways and connect through video, um, you know, seven years ago. Um, and, you know, being able to access global talent is just really important. And I think uh, really, we've seen the, the fruits of that um, through hybrid work, quite honestly. Um, and I think organizations are really realizing the power of accessing global talent in that way. Um, but in terms of our practice, we're, we're continuing to thrive in this hybridized environment. Now, uh, others who see the power of that are really appreciating and understanding that. And um, our clients uh, are, ge are getting even more comfortable with that now that it's become more of the norm. So um, we haven't changed so much in the way that we have practiced, but I, I, everyone around us has. So that's been really nice because now it's elevating uh, all of us. Yeah, um, I guess I, my experience, I'll be really honest. I was, um, even though at the beginning of my, when I first, um, started Bold Design, um, I worked, actually worked from my house for several years. And, um, and even despite that, I was kind of, to be honest, I was a, a work from home skeptic. I really was. I felt like, you know, it's, how are we going to review um, mock-ups and, you know, share sketches and things like that. And but then when I, I kind of saw it coming, I have a brother who lives in uh, Shenzhen, so I had been talking to him about, you know, he was on lockdown months, months before we were, and it was still in question whether it was going to sort of make its way here and, you know, what the, what the depths would be and so on. But at some point, I, I, I turned to my partners and I said, hey, we need to get set up for this. And you know we got our got our system set up so that people could take computers home and we'd all be connected and be able to connect to the server and whatnot. And um, and sure enough, about two weeks after we did that, we you know the the word came down that everybody had to be work from home. And um, I wasn't I didn't have a lot of anxiety, even though I was kind of a work from home skeptic. I, I kind of said, well, you know, we don't really have a choice, so let's uh, let's let's do this. And you know, 
24 hours later, we were set up, uh, you know, 16 people working from 16 different places um, around the Bay Area. And um, it, it, it worked fine. It was, I, you know, I can't say I was surprised because we're, we're very good communicators and we're, we're, we're well organized. So I think that that, that helped us. Um, but um, it, uh, it worked pretty well. I think some of our, some of our clients saw things go quiet on, on their side, you know, in terms of sales, because I think people were, you know, hesitant to go out and buy things when they didn't really know whether they would have jobs or, and I'm talking about the, the general population, whether they would have jobs and whether they would be getting paychecks and things like that. Um, but I, you know, I think when the, the government stepped in and said, okay, we're going to, we're going to give people money and uh, people felt reassured and they said, okay, you know, they're, Somebody, somebody has our backs. And so um, a lot of our clients um, have done extraordinarily well. Um, you know, we have clients that are involved with, um, you know, streaming entertainment. Well, guess what? When people can't go out, guess what they do? Um, networking equipment, things like that all became very important. So um, it's, it's actually, it's been a pretty good year. And I think we've, we've learned an awful lot about the, the boundaries of, what works, you know, for work. Yeah, it sounds like you've adjusted. <laughs> I, I know, I, yeah. personally speaking, I, I would agree with you. I've always been a, a WFH work from home skeptic, right? When, when I would get an email, as an employer, you don't want to see WFH, oh, I'm Dan, I'm going to be working from home. I'm like, yeah, right. But you know what? My team blew me away. Yeah. They're so effective. I mean, I never would have guessed that this was possible. But, but it, it does take adjustment. And adjust we did, and not only survived, but I think we're thriving more than ever because of it. We learned a lot about one another, partly because we're all on this equalizing grid like we are right now. And people that didn't work together before, you know, especially the certain engineers and designers or the UX team working with engineers, they get to hear one another's problems and issues. And it's, it's really created a lot of empathy and understanding among individuals in the company. Um, but I can tell you, like, you know, like that first week when it all came down, this pandemic is going to be such a big problem. I can tell you in one week, we lost three clients. It was like 10% of our business in one week. But, you know, this is like Royal Caribbean. Like everybody's like, no, I'm not, I'm not getting on a cruise ship. So, you know, they called, they're like, stop all work. Um, yeah. Some of the, the gaming industries stop all work. Yeah, there were a few clients like that. It was uh, kind of alarming, I must say. Yeah, I think a lot of clients gave pause, right? And they they did pause. And it, it, whether it was a couple of weeks or a couple of months, you know, we all paused, quite frankly. We didn't know, we, we were stuck at home, literally couldn't move, right? Um, we didn't know what the virus was doing. Uh, very scary information was coming every day. We were, it was social unrest. I mean, we had some major things all happen at once. So I think it was a lot as humans, to take in. But Dan, I love what you mentioned about humans because we saw each other's humanity. I think as, as work has changed, our, our work has completely changed forever, right? We have seen each other's humanity in ways that we've never thought were professional or we've redefined professionalism for ourselves now. Okay, but what does that mean when it comes to real effective virtual collaboration? Because collaboration, you know, it, it, 
it's just, it was a buzzword 10 years ago. You, know, you have to collaborate, build your team, da, da, da. And we were all used to doing that, you know, in jam rooms or war rooms, whatever you want to call them. But what about virtual collaboration and the creative fields? Where are the challenges that you guys have found and how have you overcome that? Do you think it works? I think you want to take that one. Yeah, I mean, it, it's funny because um, we, we, we looked at things like, um, you know, like getting uh, tablets and stuff that we could sketch on and things like that. But then after not too long, we ended up just basically saying, you know, here like this and, you know, flashing sketches up on, on, on the camera. And then on the other side, people would go click and they'd capture it. And then we'd have these like documents, these like, you know, shared documents running all the time in the background. And it, um, it, it I guess it was a little bit ad hoc, but it was effective. You know, like we, we'd have like a Google present, um, you know, document going that we would just throw stuff into. And we'd like take pictures of sketches and throw them in there or um, cap, you know, do, uh, you know, screen captures and stuff like that. And we, we kind of got pretty fluid. It was a little bit, you know, a little bit herky-jerky at first. Um, and I, I have to say, at the end of the day, I would, be, I would be exhausted because you, you know, when you're having a conversation with somebody face-to-face, -face, you're taking in all this information, cues, you know, all sorts of things um, that are absent when, you know, you're talking to people on little boxes. And so your, your brain's kind of working in overdrive to fill in, you know, to, you know, pull out all the information it can. But so I would, you know, I enjoyed work, but I have to admit at the end of the day, I'd be like, wow, I need to go stick my head in a, in a bucket of cold water. I, that was such a surprise that, that, that condition one's mindset after day, it feels like more work, even though it sounds like it should be less, right? Working from yeah, home, oh, yeah, doing yeah. video all day. Design is so social, you know, that's why I was worried about it working in this manner because you learn so much through nuance you know the subtle look on somebody's face when you share a concept that yeah. may not quite resonate with someone it's enough of a signal to tell you oh maybe i should work harder on that detail so or even like the curve of a line on a whiteboard sketch you know what i mean it it, it can you people will look at it and you can say yeah it sort of it accelerates here um, and it's it's harder to do that like this. It it definitely is, but I do think with tools like Miro and like you said, screen capture and being able to you know draw either virtually or you know uh, and being able to post, you get really fluid. And I think what's really interesting is that we haven't ever leveraged the power of video in the way that we have recently. Right. Like we have all these tools and we've talked about the future of work and what it looks like. But the pandemic accelerated all of these tools in our toolbox. And honestly, like our Miro has been a lifesaver. Um, we like Miro versus Miro, but, you know, obviously there's they're both there um, because our clients are now being able to jump in the boards with us, see the process. It doesn't have to be the ta-da that we've, you know, used throughout our careers and they get to see the workings. We collaborate a lot easier. And then from a design perspective, we get to populate what we want to. And then what's great is you could turn those into pages so you can make those into a presentation. But, 
but like the design piece of it, like when you're designing physical products, yes, I mean, that's probably the more challenging component of design. But when you're designing uh, systems, culture, change, you know, all of those things, that's a lot easier within the virtual environment. But I do think that we're honing our skills and being able to read each other. True. There's a really great question that just came in. Where do you go for your creative inspiration when you're stuck in your house? That is a good one. For me, it's it's about it's about asking questions. I obviously I want to know the environment that I'm um, that I'm operating in. But I think for us, you know, we just look really closely at who you're designing for. You know, what the what the nuances are of the function of the the device that you're developing. And 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 prototype. Um, so, yeah, I would even I would add that design for me is yes, there's a physicality to it, but even more so, I think design is more of a mental construct that requires seeing, observing, feeling, sensing, while simultaneously thinking and solving pragmatic problems. And sometimes there's a benefit to having environmental context, in other words, getting out and seeing the world, yes. Sometimes those acts are benefited by having people around you, being in a studio. Of course, I miss that, but I can always jump on video. As a medium, it kind of replaces that in person in order to get those juices flowing and get creative with whatever is around you. Micah, one, one of our designers, he didn't have any polyurethane foam and he couldn't get in his car to go find polyurethane foam because the stores were closed. So he used aluminum foil to create this hand tool thing. I was, I was like, what in the world is this pile of aluminum foil? But I'll be darned, the shape was there, the idea was there, the ergonomics were there. It was, it was really cool to see that. So get creative with whatever is around you. The most important thing is to just stay creative. No matter where you are, I mean, if you're stuck in a little village in, in Vietnam and you, you get a design idea, figure out with what's around you to whatever you need to do, do it. I think that, that we, our creativity has put, pushed to new limits, right? How you get access to content, um, where you search for content. Um, you aren't stuck in your home. I mean, you can go out with a mask, right? <laughs> um, we definitely have done that. We literally... So we were designing this uh, cooler for camping and I had the design team meet me at the campsite. So we ended up camping over the weekend and we were designing in context, um, which, uh, you know, normally you visit and then you leave. But uh, we were literally designing in context as a team. So I think you just get creative about how you do things. But I feel like in that creativity, it's opened up new processes for us and, and new ways of gleaning inspiration um, and, and inspiration from a material standpoint. Like you, you think about sustainability. I think we're um, thinking about what are those materials out there that we can access to. You start making phone calls, you get stuff shipped to you. I have uh, boxes coming multiple times a day, right? To our studio. So we can see the latest, the greatest, get, get your hands on stuff. So hybrid work doesn't replace physical touch, physical experience is just how you do it. And this process does take longer. That's the other thing. I will say that does design in general has taken longer during COVID. It has. It has. Some things longer, some things 
faster because you have the tools to make certain decisions like right now with your client. You know, we're, we're drawing online in video and showing concept literally real time. So there is, there is some odd benefit. So considering that, um, the process has certainly changed. Did, did the type of work that were coming into your companies change? It certainly did at Whipsaw. I mean, we got way more healthcare work, uh, protection work, um, certainly a lot of home goods uh, because people aren't spending money. You know, their, their budget allocation is going more toward material things that will help them in their home versus getting on an airplane and flying somewhere. Um, and also service design. But where have you guys seen the, the uptick in, in different kinds of work? Um, I just want to go back to the collaboration thing because just for one second, um, because I would actually venture a guess and um, like if I'm going to the room next door and say, tell me the truth. Did you guys like the fact that you were kind of, you know, for long periods of time, you were kind of on your own, you had more independence, you had time to think, you could try things that maybe you wouldn't try when you were in the studio, you know, that there was just a little bit more, um, I'm, I'm guessing that a lot of designers probably felt more independence. And that was probably, you know, liberating and refreshing. I mean, we, we try, you know, we try and give designers space, but, you know, there's schedules and meetings and stuff like that. But I, I'm venture, I, I venture a guess, and I'd say a lot of designers felt like it was... Uh, I, I would agree with you, Fred. I might even venture to say that, that creative people, well, you're, you're either more creative when you are very relaxed and in your zone, not pressured, or, or under extreme anxiety. Like I've got a deadline tomorrow morning, and damn it, I got to figure this out now. You know, I find that I'm either in one of those two extremes, or I'm very, I'm, I'm very heady and and kind of like trying to reach my subconscious for solutions on the one hand. And the pandemic has been good for that. Actually, I've come up with some wild ideas, just like sitting around in my sweatpants. Well, I don't wear sweatpants, but. We don't need to discuss what I wear. We're <laughs> so, visual people, Dan. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so, yeah, that's it's really interesting. I think there there is an upside to it. To, to answer your question, um, we saw a continuation of what we were what we were seeing before, but we did we did pick up some uh, medical, and we we actually one client was a COVID a COVID related project. It was. Um, uh, uh, dis- and disinfecting a device for um, commercial spaces, and uh, you know that had to happen really fast. So we started, you know, we started the project in June last summer, and they were like, "Yep, we want to be shipping in October." So that's June, July, August, September. That's four months, including design for manufacturing and everything. Yeah. Well. Wow. Yeah. Well. Wow. Yeah. I mean, our work uh, stays pretty consistent. I mean, we're purpose-driven in the, the work that we take on. Um, but what was interesting was the focus has shifted to even more culture, uh, more uh, the future of. So I'm a big futurist. We love the future of uh, type projects. And the future of work was one that we've worked on in many different sectors um, within industry, within government. Um, and thinking about what it means to reinvent work for ourselves and or embrace this new way of working because we're in a working cultural revolution right now. 
um, where big companies are like, you know, come back to work or else. And workers are saying or else. Right. And so we need to be flexible. And, and because we started realizing what's really important to us as humans, we started reevaluating our, our own values around life, work. And it's not work-life balance. It's actually work-life fluidity. Um, and those boundaries between work and home, they were already starting to shift with, you know, Fridays off or, you know, flex Fridays, et cetera. But no, it's actually very different now. And so being able to, as designers, think about how we're able to incorporate that fluidity in a way that really services um, people, their heart, their, their soul, and feeds us in a different way. We were missing our families. We were missing the life with our heads down work ethic that we have all experienced. And so that's the kind of work that we started seeing more of, as well as um, transitions. What does it mean to transition? And thinking about as a culture and as a human, as you go through these transitions, how what support do you have? What models do you have out there? Um, and you know, what is your ecosystem? What's your network? And who are the people that thrive in transitions and don't? And so that that's the kind of deeper human work that we started getting into over the course of the pandemic. Very cool. You know, one one thing in addition to that. Um, I, I've also seen that the pandemic has acted like an accelerant for certain businesses and technologies. For example, we're starting to see way more interest in different kinds of precision medicine or very specific solutions around uh, healthcare. Um, partly because the technology is realizing that, that that's where the answers are. If you look at you know what Pfizer and Moderna had to go through to, to create that, that vaccine. And of course, all of this relates to design because we have to ultimately package these solutions and present them in a way that are palpable and understandable, intuitive to those end users that, that we want to have consumed these products. So we're starting to see way more AI-driven diagnostics, um, lots of biology plus electronics, um, netting products that are very weird and wild, something like we did recently for this company called Kaniku just really unusual things. And the pandemic has, has been like this, this catalyst in some way. It, it, some people are just like, well, the heck with it. Let's do this. Yeah. That's it. There, there was a, a doctor at the National Health Service in England who said that they've seen 20 years of innovation in two weeks. Um, and I, I experienced it myself. I had a, a pinched nerve in my neck from doing stupid things. And um, so, uh, my doctor said, well, do you want to do PT on Zoom? And again, I was skeptical, but I said, yeah, sure, that sounds great, let's do that. And, um, and it, it worked, it was a little bit, you know, um, it was a little bit odd, um, but it, uh, it worked, you know, here I am three months later and no more pinched nerve. And I, you know, I, other than seeing the, the physical therapist online, um, I, I'm sure it made their job much harder um, because they couldn't, you know, like bend my neck and say, hey, did that hurt um, or things like that. But um, I think we've seen a tremendous amount of innovation in a very short time. And I, I think that it's opened people's eyes to opportunities for new types of products and services. Yeah, it is a plus. I, and I think that, you know, when things get tough, people have a tendency to really reassess what they want out of life. They start to think about 
things like quality of life being more important than quantity of life. And this is, uh, this is really where I want to move the conversation is, it sounds to me, you know, uh, all three of us are experiencing the same kinds of changes in our companies. There is more of an emphasis on quality of life and healthcare and home-centric design. But will it stick? I want it to stick because it seems like people are being a little bit more sensible. I think quality of life and quality of design go together like peanut butter and jelly. I mean, they, they work well together. So, but, but we all live in a wild world and everybody's trying to make more money and they're, you know, the traffic's coming back and are we gonna fall back into these patterns? How can we make it stick in the foreseeable future? Well, I think one of the things that we are missing and we're seeing this in our, uh, we've been auditing Silicon Valley uh, companies and uh, honestly, nationally as well. And what's missing is that um, friction, that friction and that need that, that innovate, helps innovators and creatives spark. And if we don't get back to that level of spark, which comes from interacting with each other and or you know, seeing things and being inspired, you know, like going to CES, for example, uh, one person brought up how CES was important to kind of spark, uh, she used the word envy, but uh, I, don't, I don't know if it's envy, but like just spark, you know, that, that creative, aha, like I wanna get in the mix. We will start seeing a push uh, for the lack of comfort, um, you know, in the home so that we can get to that creative spark. So um, that's one of the things that we need to think about. How do we create that spark or keep that spark going? And we're also coasting on a lot of our relationships that we've had pre-pandemic. So starting a project uh, with a client that you've never met in person and or teammates that maybe you have new hires that just started really hard to do. If you haven't met in person, a lot of projects are failing uh, all around in every company with teams that haven't met in person. So um, how do we keep it going in terms of that balance and, and honoring what people are feeling like they're missing, but then how do you just keep that that creativity, that hunger alive. Haven't figured that out yet. What do you think, Fred, about that? Mm, I think that there was a lot of friction during the pandemic. Um, to, to enough friction to start um, a lot of a lot of different fires. Um, so I, you know, I think good creative friction <laughs> versus like destructive fire friction. Yeah, no, I, I I think that the I think that the pandemic just really I mean for me personally it um, it, it definitely helped me kind of realign. Um, I feel like there's you know within the studio there's just uh, I think there's a lot more empathy for everybody, and I think that when people are, are more empathic, then they, um, they they're more attentive to each other's needs and they're kinder to each other. And I, I think that plays into design. I really I think that helps you know us. You know when we're because we're always sometimes we're the users of things that we're designing but a lot of the times we're we have to imagine and so i think that um when you're more empathic it's easier to imagine you know and, and you you go that extra mile to to make to create a better experience but fred how do we make this the tangible benefits that we just heard and i think they're more 
unforeseen dividends, right, that have happened from this pandemic. I mean, it's it's been hell for a lot of people, let's face it, not to mention the, the disgraceful loss of life. But how do we make some of these these yeah. these good things stick i think they'll stick because it's it's a value shift the the underlying you know like you talk about you know maslow i think that the, the the shape of the pyramid of the base has changed and that what what people are um are going to support and tolerate um it it, it has changed and so you know the some of the biggest companies in the world, you know, have come back and said, okay, here's what we're going to do. And people have said, hmm, no, I don't think so. I'm not doing that. What else do you have? And so I, I, I do think that there, there's a shift and that, that um, employees um, feel and understand that they, they have more power. And so, and I think that, you know, woe, woe to the, um, the organization that, that doesn't take that on board. You can you can go and pick up the Economist magazine and read, you know, dozens of articles about this kind of thing. Um, things have things have changed and things have shifted. And um, uh, I don't I don't you know I, I feel like it's uh, you know the the toothpaste has come out of the tube. We're not you can't put it back in. Yeah, I I, I really. I agree. I, I hope that some of these these benefits that we're talking about really, really do stick. And I think it's incumbent upon us designers to make sure that we we do we do carry a new kind of torch and that we are strong and persuasive and making sure that we're offering good, sound, meaningful, truthful solutions to the clients and be brave, stand up and just, you know, proclaim what innovation means to you. That's OK. I think there's I think the big message here is it's okay make your proclamation everybody is we're in this time now yeah i also i also kind of wonder like so you know as, as a, a work from home skeptic uh you know I, I was proven wrong and um i think that that kind of uh has emboldened people to say okay well what other things that i held to be true are also incorrect and so I see, I see my designers asking questions like, well, do we really have to do it that way? Or, you know, is, you know, wh why is that a sacred cow? Why can't we change that? Um, so I don't know. I, I think that, um, I think there's, I think there's a shift going on. Right. Well, I do think, as I mentioned before, the idea of work fluidity that you, we as, uh, designers need to design tools and experiences that allow work fluidity so that we, it's not flexibility. Uh, and this is the difference. So, and I, I stumbled across this aha, you know, thinking about the future of work, that it isn't about either or. It's about that we are working in our cars, at the cafe, at home with our teams at our home office back, you know, hopping on a plane, working on the plane, like work happens everywhere. And while we may have thought about that, we still think about it as binary work from home, right? Well, actually it's not just work from home. There, so work fluidity needs to happen as our devices pick up from one area to another, um, uh, you know, content, our access to content, our access to people, 
uh, we need to think about that even more. Because honestly, our tools are still very limited in uh, what they can do and how they support idea generation, collaboration. Well, it's great that we have what we have now. They're really still very, very limited. So I think to keep it going and moving forward, we need to reinvent our tools for creation, collaboration, communication, um, and start thinking about other dimensions. So we're even uh, playing around with VR, right? In collaborating, connecting, meetings. Um, we have, we are just on the precipice of, of an amazing time if we choose to take it. Uh, our muscle memory is so strong to the way it used to be or normal. I think that we may be missing a big opportunity in advancing how we create, how we work how we think, um, how we transmit ideas. And so VR is the real untapped dimension, quite frankly, um, on how we can collaborate together and start bridging some of those um, arenas. But I don't want to diminish you know, the, the in-person power because we as human animals can communicate and transmit energy that you just don't get anywhere else. So we need to not forget that obviously in person is hugely valuable, but I don't want to miss out on all of the other dimensions that we haven't really tapped fully. And I think designers intrinsically are so good at that because many of us are craftspersons, artists, musicians, and it allows you to have this, this touch point with your own humanity. And it's often, that that element of that designers bring is sometimes sidelined by big business and managers and CEOs that maybe value the bottom line more than an individual's big idea. So yeah, if it's allowed us to bring out more of our humanity, that's that's awesome. I, I love that perspective, Carolyn. Do you think it's? Do you think? You know, like great tools, right? We have Zoom, we have Google Hangouts, we have all these other things, and. When we first, you know, I think that the people who developed them were sort of like, oh crap, we have like, you know, 500 times the number of people using this now. And um, I think that they really, they probably, you know, people generally are like, I'm very thankful to be able to talk to people like this. Um, but in fact, the software could be better. Um, you know, it could be easier to use, it could be more flexible, it could um, allow us to share more easily. And so I'm, I'm guessing that there's this sort of unseen groundswell of people out there going, wow, there's a lot of opportunity for making this a lot better. And so I think that when you say, how are we going to do it? I think it's probably happening, you know, um, you know, out out there in Silicon Valley and, and across across the world, people are probably imagining great new ways for collaborating. It's true. It's do true. you two do you think this pandemic, in both of your opinions, has made us, especially designers, has it made us more accountable? Is it going to make us more responsible? Will it prompt us to really think about the essence of a problem and how to how to really go about solving it that, that might additionally be very sustainable in every way, not just environmentally sustainable. For sure. I mean, 
honestly, at the beginning of the pandemic last year, I was on a panel where scientists were talking about, uh, from the UK, were talking about, you think this virus is bad? Wait till the climate change hits you. And you're worried about being in the home now? Just wait. And it's in years, not in 10 years. It's in a couple years. And I honestly, you know, we've heard climate change and it honestly, it doesn't um, stick with you as much as when this scientist was talking, it scared the bejesus out of me. And ironically, from that, that conference to when, you know, client work started picking up again, it was all about sustainability more than ever before. And, um, and it really gives you pause about, and especially as design leaders, being able to say, hey, wait a minute, I don't know if that deserves to exist, this product that you want to create. Like, let's prove, why does that deserve to exist? And I don't know if I want to partake in creating that thing. <laughs> and I think also when we think about sustainability for the product, its life cycle, um, and the onus that we have as designers not just in sustainability, but in cre the creation of things or services or experiences just because I think we really have a lot more power in, in being able to redirect, uh, refocus, and also um, be able to shift and build a business case for maybe something that's an alternative that actually has much more positive outcomes. And that process of development as well is much more positive. So. In that, though, I will say as designers, it is crucial for us to get up on many different manufacturing techniques out there for, let's say, sustainability, because I don't think that we have in our toolbox enough sustainable knowledge to really design effectively cradle to grave and beyond. I, I just I don't just think I know. And I think it behooves all of us to really get deep into what this looks like and sustainability, not just in physical product, but in um, the whole cycle of our experience from um, product services, culture, everything needs to be sustainable. We, like we worked on a program years ago around human resilience. Human resilience is part of sustainability, right? And thinking about how we're able to tap into ourselves to be sustainable, um, which also, mirrors back into a, a earlier point that you made down around um, how has this changed us? Like how are we more sustainable as humans in this condition that we're in right now? But also sustainability and the products, as I mentioned, and the services that we design. Yes, we do have greater responsibility than ever before because we've seen the effects. Yeah, I, I also see this there has been for the last 50 years this relentless corporate drive to make more money through design. And honestly, I know I do design for a living, but that kind of motivation simply does not inspire me. I mean, my, my definition, and the pandemic has really driven this home, is of my definition of prosperity is, is totally the opposite. And like a lot of designers, I mean, I think we have to value meaning over money and outcome for users over income for corporations. Uh, I think growth of cultural value is more important than growth of shareholder value. I think 
we have to somehow, through the means that you just mentioned, Caroline, keep pushing for these these values that are more sustainable and more holistic definition of what sustainability even is. And um, I think that's our big challenge. I mean, Fred, I know you because I've known you for a long time. I know so wholeheartedly you would you would believe in that or tell me maybe that you don't. What do you think? No, I, I, I've always, I've always been frustrated by the, um, in, in order to see real change in sustainability, you have to have a change in, um, you know, it's like steering a super tanker, you know, like we've, we've gone out many, many times and, and looked at, um, you know, different types of material that are more ecological, more environmentally sound. And um, there are always these, these niche things, but I think it's, things are slowly changing because people are, are, are starting to understand, well, you know, I can still do well by doing good. And, um, you know, at some point, something's going to happen. It's like, I've, I've always said with, with consumer electronics, if you, if you go and look at the reviews or you look at what's selling the best, it's not like something's selling 40 and this one's, 40%, this one's 30%, this one's 20%, this one's 10 It's like, this one's 90% because it's the best. And then this one is 6% because it's cheaper. And then this one's selling 3% because it's really, really cheap. Um, I think we have to get to that situation with, um, with sustainability where we can go out and there, there are options for, you know, for materials and systems that are better. And that we can, and that there we can be, they can be deployed on a massive scale, not niche. I'm not talking about you know making um, lamps out of orange peels. I'm talking. <laughs> go go look on the zine. It's there. Um, but you know, I'm, t I'm talking about like really really meaningful ways of doing things. Like you know, at the at the Tokyo Olympics, they made the they made the beds out of cardboard. Okay, that's awesome. Why, you know, I I would be okay sleeping on a cardboard bed. Um, you know, I don't I don't it doesn't it doesn't need to weigh six hundred pounds. Um, you know, I so I, I think that there's there's two things. There's the, the 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 systems, the infrastructure, and then there's our limited ways of thinking about them. Right. Well, I wanted to ask, so um, we're working on sustainable running shoes right now. And it's interesting when you start investigating, like in the running shoe category, you know, all these proclamations, right, from big uh, companies that we all know and love and have worked for around their sustainable shoe. But, you know, there's a lot of carbon credits that they're buying, right? And as does, and cheat, I mean, you know, it's kind of cheating, right? It's not not really being sustainable or using an ecologically sourced material, but it still lasts forever. <laughs> um, as designers, you know, how, and now I'm, I'm taking your role, Dan, uh, as designers, uh, how do you feel about pushing back in that arena? Like, would you work on a project where you knew the client was buying carbon credits and, you know, basically buying their way into sustainability or, you know, how does that sit with you guys? I think as long as you are able to make the positive change that 
you should be as a designer, then the means in which it occurs, providing the ends is a, is a, a good result, some benevolence, some benefit to the end user, then I'm okay. Yeah. It's kind of interesting because, um, you know, our client isn't at necessarily advocating for that, but it was just the uh, investigation out there, seeing the greenwashing, if you will. Um, it, it doesn't sit well with us. We're like, mm, if you're really willing to make a change, we're there for you, right? We're, we're going to take and we're going to see this through. But if you're, it's a marketing ploy, we're not really that interested in engaging. Oh, I, I misunderstood your question then. I hate anything disingenuous. So, you know, we and we are often every design firm will you'll hit these moments when you have to ask yourself, should we be doing this? You know, we turned one down this morning, a client that wanted to work with us, and we're just like, mm, no. And yeah, you're those are hard decisions sometimes because they're they're often not black and white. Right. You know, I, I think you have to ask yourself, okay, is this um, is this super tanker? Do they want to, to make a turn, or do they just want you to you know get on the deck and cheer them on? Um, and I think that if you can if you can make even a, even an incremental um, positive impact, then it, then it, then it's worth doing because there's there's definitely somebody else out there who won't care and will just say, yeah, sure, we'll do that. So, you know, if you can get, if you can get in there and, and even make, you know, like if we could, if we could get a, a client to just make a change in their packaging okay. to go from say, you know, a plastic insert to a compostable insert, um, you know, from go from like a, a, a styrene or something like that, which is horrible. To um, to you know an egg crate or something like that. Then it's it's you know these these things are they're all incremental, but they're I think they're meaningful. Yeah, and that's a really good point, right? Like increments do add up; they do stack up, and it is important. And I think to answer to circle back, Dan, with your question around responsibility, I do. We're all saying that yes, we do have responsibility to bring up these really hard questions. And then also to guide the process, to guide the process towards uh, a, a better answer or utilizing things that they've already used, but in a new way. And that's where it doesn't always have to be reinvention, right? It could be rejiggering of an existing system, but just optimized in a way that actually improves exponentially over time. So um, I just want yeah, to circle I, back. It, yeah, good, very, very good point. Um, if there's ever a time that we have the ears, you know, in the C-suite, our clients, it's probably now because with all of this change we're seeing, I mean, whether it's social change, climate change, um, changes in the Delta variant, I mean, there's just so much that we're dealing with, right? It's hard to cope. Designers are good at coalescing solutions, at culling from what we see in the world into some form of betterment. And I think that spells, when there's so much change going on, that spells opportunity to me. Um, change occurs in very difficult times and very positive times. So I think that's what we're seeing here. And it is our moment to do exactly what you're just saying. So uh, this, is, this is awesome. We've, um, we've covered so many interesting things. 
there have been so many incredible questions coming in. So there are so many here on our list. Um, I'm going to just hand select one or two or three maybe to see if we can get through them. Um, these are real time. Let's see. Work from home has made everyone work more than ever. Who would have guessed that? And has blurred the line between work and home life. What's your plan for returning to a healthy balance of work and rest for your employees? Well, um, we're actually, um, we track that pretty closely. We actually, we actually go to people and say, um, we think you're working too much. Can, what can we do to help you balance your workload? Um, because, I mean, we know that when, um, when people are working too much, um, the, uh, the actual their productivity goes down, their happiness goes down, um, and, uh, you know, the, the work just isn't as good. There's, there's definitely, you know, there's a limit to how much you should work, and we, 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 uh, we actually we review that every Monday. We look at how much people, the, the leadership team here looks at it and says, okay, well, everybody's good, you know, sort of like everyone's somewhere around 40 hours. Um, if somebody's above, then we'll go and talk to them and say, okay, well, how can we help balance your load? It's, 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 super, it's super important. People have known this for, for, for ages too. There's, you know, uh, somebody who works 70 hours, 70 hours a week is, not doing a good job for a number of those hours. Right, right. I, I think also, um, you know, not capping vacation time. I think what's been really interesting um, is, you know, people don't tend to abuse that. I mean, if you, some people can, but uh, if you take the time that you need and expect everyone to be responsible adults, obviously tracking what's going on, you're able to flex and people are happier, as you had mentioned, Fred. Um, you know, I, I think also, um, at least for us, like gone are the days of, um, I need to see you working in, you know, at your desk uh, 40 hours plus a week. And if I don't see you working, then you're really not productive, right? I think um, being able to understand that work and life, if they're going to be more fluid, um, they're going to happen. And, uh, you know, what's interesting is that you need to also take care of your wellness. And we are big advocates of that, meaning like, hey, I just need to take a little bit of time to go for a walk or, you know, I, you know, at a certain time I'm taking this Pilates class or, you know, you know, what have you, or I want to take a painting class. Um, and it's, you know, starts at, at this time in the evening. <laughs> um, that, that said, it, being able to be fluid, but also you can't abuse it, right? So trying to find that, that fluid line, um, we've been uh, pretty successful in doing because everyone has that drive to do well. I mean, that's, we're hungry. If you're a hungry designer who needs to create and innovate, um, that's great. But then you have rest time. Otherwise, you will never replenish. Um, and when you go, 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 which is what I think as a society we've been doing, but as designers, if you do not give yourself that downtime, you are an empty husk. 
empty husk and you will not be able to give your best, give your all. It's why great ideas come in the shower, right? Um, you need that experience during the day to be able to, and it's daily, to be able to uh, do that. Um, and I think with the way that we've been working and how easy it is to get on video, I mean, I have to admit, I have not myself been very good. At the end of the day, like I, I just told my husband, also a designer, I'm like, you know, at the end of today, we're running out of here screaming and going to go get dinner. We call it mobile yeah. dinner because we eat in our car. But, um, you know, mobile <laughs> dinner in Marin. So, yeah. um, you know, whatever that is, you, you need to find that joy. I would agree that also design, it's, it's one of these professions where you're so informed by the things that you're not necessarily at the moment thinking about or trying to solve. You know, it's, it's, it's the subtle observation you made about an individual in a conversation that somehow informed the way you're thinking about a design problem a year from now. You know, it just, it all goes in. It all goes in and then it's your job as a designer to sort of readily access it when you need it the most and, and apply right. it. And, and sometimes walking around in your sweatpants, hey, that's all of a sudden you, you hear something, you see something, yeah, that's all. So here's my final question for you too. What does design nirvana mean to you? You know, society has, has gone through something. And as designers, if we're to learn anything from this, we should be able to carry our profession forward in some way <clears throat> to elevate what we do, to advance it, to bring it to a higher state of existence. I mean, that's kind of what nirvana is. But is there such a thing as design nirvana? Will the world really benefit from design? And if so, how? How can we move our, our society? You know, we went from an industrial society to a creative one. Where are we going now? And what is design nirvana? So I will say, for me, I have personally this mix of futurist with Luddite. And I so think that we are in this age of technology and design, much like fashion, where it's haute couture. It's in your face. We are, we're tethered to our products, we're tethered to our phones, uh, we're tethered to our technology. I think for me, design nirvana would be that technology recedes into our environment more than it ever has. And we call upon it when we need it, but we need to be able to get back to our humanity in a way that I don't think that we have. And it's why home, family, um, and, you know, family values, all these things have resurfaced um, when you have a very serious question of life or death, right? And for me, I would love to see technology recede into our walls more, recede into our environments more, like I said, and um, populate, you know, when, when we need it, and then it recedes back again. And so for me, if, if we can, as designers, almost get over ourselves, and the flashiness of look at the cool thing I just made or the cool system I just designed and be like, wow. And then it just goes away. That to me would be Nirvana. Huh. Um, I would say for, for me, design Nirvana is, and we were talking about this recently, um, is um, just 
meaningful, meaningful, hard to solve problems. Um, because I think that that's, you know, that's, uh, that's what makes work interesting is to have, have a, a hard problem that, that needs to be solved, um, to work for clients that, um, recognize and value our, our efforts and are supportive of the process, um, that we go through. And I, and I, I would say we, we have that, um, you know, our, our clients, um, are generally very, very supportive of, of what we do and how we do things. And then, you know, to be, to be working with a team of, uh, a team of experts, uh, people who are super engaged and, um, and really engrossed and love what they're doing. Um, I think that's what, that's what makes the, uh, the studio special is that there's this, um, I don't know, this is sort of um, kind of sort of unspoken understanding amongst everybody that, you know, that we're, you know, that what we're doing is, 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 uh, is challenging, but, but fun. And, um, you know, and, and uh, we are, we're all sort of um, engaged as a group and supportive of each other as individuals. Awesome. You know, I think we're out of time, and it's a shame because we have received so many questions. Um, there's got to be a way. Well, you can find all three of us online. Um, sorry to have just uh, volunteered your <laughs> more time, Carolyn and Fred, but if you wanted to ask any of us uh, individually any questions, I know I'd be open to answer a few questions. Um, and I'm Dan at whipsaw.com. And uh, you can certainly follow us at, at Whipsaw Design. I just want to thank everybody for tuning in. It's always a pleasure to do this kind of thing. We do have to just stay connected. What we're trying to do is really just keep our community together and have stimulating conversations like this with really cool people like Caroline and Fred. So thanks, everybody. Huge thanks, Caroline, Fred. Wonderful, um, as always, seeing you guys. And good, oh. good night. For you, Dan, anything. And so good to see you, Fred, too. Thank you for having me. Likewise, and, and thank you to Whipsaw for organizing this. I know a lot of work went into it, and I appreciate everybody on the team for making it happen. Yes, great job, team, great job. Good, Th yeah, ag agreed, thanks to my team. All right, good night, everybody, thanks a lot. Thank you for listening to PRISM. Follow us on whipsaw.com or your favorite streaming platform. And we'll be back with more thought-provoking episodes soon. Prism is hosted by Dan Harden, Principal Designer and CEO of Whipsaw. Produced by Gabrielle Whelan and Isabella Glenn. Mix and sound design by Eric Buell.